Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of Two Drunk Fans. We are here today with TJ Jurian. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, you are. All right. Hi, TJ. Um, TJ, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, please? Sure. Uh, so my name is TJ Jurian. Uh, I use he, him, his pronouns, and I'm a trans-identified educator and social justice advocate. And you are currently a PhD candidate at Loyola? Uh, yes, I am. All right. Awesome. And I'm sorry about that. I, my dad has a PhD, <laughs> and he describes it as like the worst seven years of his life, but whatever. Some people may uh, Yeah, it's almost over. <laughs> almost over. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Preemptive. Um, so why we have TG on the show today is because we talked about this in our last episode. Um, North Carolina just acquired the Western New York Flash, and they're moving the team down and calling it the Courage. But as you may or may not know, North Carolina has a really shitty bill on the books right now, HB2, that is blatantly discriminatory against trans people. Um, it's more than just a bathroom bill, which, you know, requires trans people to use public restrooms that match the identity the gender, I mean, the uh, the sex on their birth certificate. It also prevents local governments from making their own anti-discrimination bills. Um, there was a lot of stuff that went on where Democrats tried to repeal it earlier. There, you know, it didn't work due to various reasons. And now here we are. North Carolina still has this bill on the books. The NWCL season starts, well, preseason starts April. The Courage are going to be operating. So we wanted to get the opinions of trans Woso fans, trans people, to you know, really amplify their voices. So, um, TJ, our first question, I guess, then is, well, I guess as part of the intro is how long have you been a women's soccer fan and are there any teams that you particularly follow? So we can just kind of get to the rhythm. Sure. Yeah. I've been a women's soccer fan since before I even knew that women's soccer was a thing that existed. Um, I, as a little girl in the third grade, I used to watch the boys play during recess and I actually convinced them once to let me play along and, they put me in a uh, goalie and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I even wrote an essay once of like this dream sequence I had about being on the very first Armenian national women's soccer team, which wasn't a thing that existed at the time. Um, in terms of teams and players, there's, I mean, there's so many, honestly. Um, I've been in Chicago the last five years. So I'm obviously a big Chicago Red Stars fan. I love the way that they play. They're very scrappy, very, you know, they're fighters. Uh, so I really like that in the team. Um, Portland Thorns are obviously uh, great, and I'm particularly keeping an eye on uh, Nadia Nadim, and I think she's going to be a major contributor in that team. Um, but I think one of my biggest, um, um, the, the people that I appreciate the most is uh, Megan Rapino, and not just because she's a brilliant player, but I think what I've appreciated seeing from uh, Megan Rapino is her solidarity act in. Uh, taking a knee after Colin Kaepernick got so much flack for doing so in the NFL. And as a white person and as someone who's hugely popular and well-respected, I think she knew that she had a particular responsibility to not just watch and have all the heat beyond athletes of color and what they do or say when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement. So those are just a few. I had to keep the short, the list short. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I think it's really interesting that, that you bring up Megan Rapinoe and, and her, her activism or, or not, not even necessarily activism as much as how she kind of shines a spotlight mm -hmm. on 
on social issues that are important to her um, or that she thinks are important to the community. Uh, and and I, I think that's a really good transition to kind of talking about women's soccer and politics and how um, the, the social justice side of it, 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 it kind of feels like it's always been there in women's mm-hmm. soccer, but maybe it's, it's like, because it's a female sport and it's kind of always the underdog and it's not mainstream and stuff like that. Um, just, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm making those connections in real mm-hmm. time and I'm like, Oh, my brain's firing on all cylinders. No, I, I would definitely have to agree with you. I think that's, it's always been a uh, sort of, underlying just because its own existence was social justice in its own way, right? There was so much, um, even though the women's soccer team has been better than the men's soccer team, I mean, objectively speaking, uh, forever, uh, the men's soccer team still gets a lot more attention. Um, the salary issue is, is still a thing. So its own existence is a social justice effort. Um, but I think the, the, that swelling is coming from fans and coming from players more so than necessarily team owners and uh, the folks that make decisions. And so I think um, that's where I want to see examples like um, uh, Megan Rapinoe's be elevated to the leadership, um, right? So North Carolina Football Club's uh, president, Kurt Johnson, talked about um, that um, he considers uh, now the Courage and the North Carolina Football Club as inclusive, diverse organizations um, but where's the action? Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's well and well and good. It's just words. And uh, the action itself is a move into North Carolina and into a state that many other sporting organizations are moving away from, at least in terms of playing their championships there or playing teams in North Carolina and so on. So this, this doesn't uh, match up. The rhetoric and the action isn't really matching up. I think that kind of matches with what we were going to ask, which is um, how you feel about the courage starting in a state with, you know, such a crappy political situation, especially for trans people. And I mean, do you want to elaborate mm-hmm. on that, how you feel about it? Yeah, I think it's just a really, really bad message to send to, to fans. I think it's a bad ma- message, message to send to their own players and their own staff, um, especially for um, uh, gender nonconforming, uh, presenting and or identifying uh, staff and players that, um this is this is this position uh, wasn't taken with you in mind, uh, because in all honesty, uh, HB two doesn't really affect Kurt Johnson, and probably doesn't affect the vast majority of folks in leadership uh, in the league. It affects those um, who are coming to the games and who are playing the games more so than uh, anyone else. So it's it's easy for folks to say we're welcoming and we're inclusive, but it's a gross underestimation of sort of the impact that these laws have on people. Um, mm-hmm. Right after HB2 passed, for example, the Trans Lifeline, which is a crisis hotline for trans people, um, calls doubled, right? Um, folks, folks are scared. Um, they're already getting harassed in bathrooms all the time. And now there's um, a legal sort of uh, structural validation of that harassment. Um, so I think it's, it's a really, really bad message, especially coming from the reigning champions. Right. And, and it's, it's one of those situations where, it's like, well, what can be done about mm-hmm. it, right? Like, okay, it, it, so 
we have to think of this at kind of in two different areas or two different arenas. There's the business transaction of, mm-hmm. of at least the Western New York flash didn't fold <laughs> and they found a viable buyer and a buyer that's really interested, really excited, wants to, wants to bring women's soccer to, to that area and that region that this sport thrives in. But then we have this conflicting, okay, but, you know, now from a social justice standpoint, from a human rights standpoint, um, this is a really, really shitty situation. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you talk about like how this isn't going to be impacting the ownership or the staff. Um, it'll impact fans and players. Like what sort of action would be multiple levels of action? Um, one being repealing the bill, but but there've got to be smaller steps too. What what sort of action mm-hmm. as, as a trans a uh, person would you li- like to see the courage either doing as like ne- not necessarily an olive branch mm-hmm. but to try to change the situation yeah definitely I, and i think um that question is really important right because uh, there's also a lot of people who live in north carolina or in any of the other states that are uh, proposing very similar bills like texas now with sb6 um that that live there right so um, the courage also has an opportunity now to sort of exemplify and model how to exist in these spaces and resist it um, and not not just leave or not uh, not come at all. Um, so I think what I would appreciate sort of seeing is a little bit of a transparency and and uh, and a game plan um, that uh, Kurt Johnson and, and the courage can present uh, to to their fans and to and to their staff and uh, to basically say, okay, um, we want to see, and he's, he said it in an interview, I want to see this bill repealed. Um, how, what, what, what are you going to be specifically doing, uh, to help that along? How are you going to leverage your influence and power in the state to push for it? And, uh, and in the meantime, what are you going to institute and put into place to ensure the safety and the accessibility of players and staff and fans to anything courage related? Um, and how are you partnering with, North Carolina-based organizations uh, to ask about what do you need, what what would be best for us to do or state um, as as we want to be in partnership with you all doing doing this work. Um, I think one very very loud statement um, that uh, the courage could make is transforming as many of the restrooms and uh, in the facilities um, at the stadium into all gender restrooms. Um, wow. yeah. I think, I think that would be just incredibly powerful. Um, it would be a very, and because they are a private entity, they're able to do that. Um, and they don't have to adhere to HB2 in the same ways that not public and government, uh, spaces have to. Um, so I think that's a very loud way to do it. And I think it's also a very educational, uh, way because then it's educating other fans who are coming and, um, then asking them themselves, oh, okay, so all gender restroom, how do I navigate that? How to na- negotiate that? Um, but I think it'll also be something that'll be very welcomed by families um, who, you know, uh, dad wanting to take uh, his daughter to the bathroom, being able to just do that and not worry about sending um, his daughter into a bathroom by herself, right? Um, things, things along those lines. Um, I think um, for me, what's really important in this is that both sports and the South um, are huge influencers in what happens culturally and politically in this country. And so with uh, the Courage being a sport team in the South, I think they could have a very long lasting impact nationally if they do even the 
little little bits of symbolic actions that they can. We do have a statement from Jeff Plush where he says he and the ownership talked to um, Equality North Carolina before they mm-hmm. made the move. I don't know how much before that. Like, it, did they talk to them and then make the move, or they make the move and then go, "Oh crap, mm-hmm. we need to, you know, cover our bases here." And they're supposed to be talking to them again. We don't have a timeline for that. He was, you know, his usual Jeff Plush self and not really giving <laughs> a specific answer there, but. You know, not all trans people are a monolith, and just because they spoke mm-hmm. to one trans group before they made the decision, theoretically, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they actually took any, you know, a multitude of trans opinions into account. If you had been able to speak to, like, Jeff Plush and the ownership before they made the move, is there anything you might have said or recommended to them? Other than not making one? <laughs> um <laughs> I think I think it would have been just again the the transparency piece is you know to to get ahead of uh, how this is going to uh, show up in the media um, get ahead of it by being transparent about the process and the decision making uh, why the decision is being made and what's going to be done moving forward. Do you think that okay so the sale's done there's nothing to do and you suggested some mm-hmm. real concrete actionable things they can do to help create a safe space for all fans. If you were a, a trans fan living in North Carolina who was, you know, into women's soccer, do you think that could make like a, what kind of difference would that make for them? You know, seeing that being an option for them every week. Um, I think it would really depend on um, who that person is, right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Uh, if I'm just taking um, my own story in, in, into consideration, uh, while I identify as trans, I'm very gender conforming, right? Folks um, for the most part, can't tell I'm trans by looking at me. Um, folks read me as a cisgender man. So my safety is actually not necessarily um, in, in play in public and on any regular day. I think uh, who these this affects are people who appear gender nonconforming, and especially trans women and especially trans women of color, um, who often uh, get clocked and often are already facing all kinds of different uh, levels of harassment um, and oftentimes don't have access to, to resources uh, that might make position them in, uh, in safer environments and, and so forth. So um, I think those are the folks that are going to be thinking twice about um, showing up to, to an event uh, publicly or, and, and if they've, if they've been so- uh, women's soccer fans, their interest might wane um, because they're they're already receiving this this message that this is not a space for you to come into, mm-hmm. right? But but there is that potential to, and also I I think there's a, not necessarily just responsibility for ownership, but that fans supporters could mm-hmm. also help create that safe space by um, maybe outside the stadium having petitions ready mm-hmm. to, to be signed for, uh, repealing the bill or having fundraisers, yeah. um, fundraisers, things, things of that nature, at least raising awareness, having flyers or, or working, working with those other groups. I, I know you had mentioned, you know, the ownership group doing that and, and, and. Uh-oh, we might've lost Gab. <laughs> yeah, I think, we, I think we did. Um, Apparel, yeah. Uh, while she's out, is there anything that you think we should be driving at here that we can kind of point the conversation towards? Um, I think to honestly, all, it's yeah. uh, just make, making it clear that uh, this this is um, maybe not the worst thing that's ha- that's happened, but it is definitely 
um, a precedent that has been set around the country. And um, what is happening in North Carolina should be watched, not just as a North Carolina issue, but as something that is being replicated um, all over the country. And there's about a dozen or so bills that are already in play or are about to get uh, pushed into um, their state legis legislatures. And so folks need to pay attention to what has already happened in North Carolina, what's currently happening in Texas, so that they can uh, prepare for resistance. Because uh, it's no longer about if, it's about when. Yeah, I think it's, um, Gab had a good point about other fans standing mm -hmm. up for, you know, their fellow fans. If not all your fans can watch the game with you, then I don't think it's an experience worth having. I mm -hmm. think, you know, if not everybody is allowed into the stadium, then you shouldn't go either. That's just yeah. my personal opinion. If people want to go, you know, and enjoy soccer for whatever it represents to them, I can't stop you that. But um, yeah, I definitely think uh, we all got to stand together or else then ownership's going to feel like they can do whatever they want and they're not going to lose fans. Mm -hmm. So, and I think, and I think it would be uh, powerful to have sort of anti HB2 uh, game watching parties, um, right? When people are get, uh, gathering together and saying, you know, we're still sports fans. We're still, uh, we still love the courage or um, this team or that team that uh, we're following. And we want to make sure that we're saying that we're not okay with what's happening. Um, so that that's just always in people's uh, awareness. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, TJ. <clears throat> we really appreciate you spending the time. Is there anything you wanted to close with today? Um, we are recording on probably one of the blackest days in American, in, in modern American history. So um, I think it's just what um, a lot of artists and uh, poster creators are, are putting out there and, and, and the messages for the protests happening today and tomorrow is um, that we're all going to need each other um, uh, for the foreseeable future. And we need to take that very seriously. Yeah, I couldn't agree You're more. Right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to our special episode of Two Drunk Fans. We are talking about the North Carolina courage moving into the state and joining NWSL at a time when North Carolina politically is kind of, I think the technical term is a hot mess. Um, <laughs> they have that shitty law HB2 on the books, which we talked about earlier in the show. We now have another uh, women's soccer fan on the show. Welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Melissa Kenny. I'm a transgender woman and a Woso fan, particularly of the Boston Breakers. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've been at this. I'm so, I'm so outnumbered. I know. I've been at this even a little longer than Steph. So. Yes, Melissa has a much longer, not much longer, but slightly longer history. I think you are like a original Woosa fan, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, I only got to one game, but I used to watch all of them on television. And they they were all on television, or most of them anyway. They were on PAX, right? Yeah. PAX Network. God, PAX. Okay. Anyway, so that's, that's pretty much as fine a pedigree for a Woso fan as you could hope for um, in the United States. So, Melissa, we wanted you on the show today to talk about your point of view, what's going on. We wanted to make sure trans voices get heard on an issue that's affecting trans lives. I mean, not you personally, obviously, you're, you're a Boston Breakers fan and you're not in North Carolina, but as a trans right. person, you know, how did it make you feel to learn that the team was moving into a state with such a hateful law on the books? 
It, it well, it didn't feel good. Um, but I I understand why it happened, and um, I'm so much of a fan of Woso and of this league that I I want it to happen because I want the league to keep going, and I want there to be uh, ten teams in the league. And if that the alternative was the team folding, then this is the way it has to be. But um, I certainly am not happy about the fact that we're putting a team in a state that has decided to pass laws that are specifically discriminatory towards certain groups of people. I mean, does it make you feel any better or worse to know that apparently, according to comments from Commissioner Plush at the NWSL draft, that they did think about this beforehand, that they knew that the law was there, that it was bad, but... You know, they they did consult with like a quality North Carolina, but then they went ahead and did it anyway. I mean, does that does that ameliorate what they did, or does it make it worse in any way? The the words that have come out from the commissioner and uh, from the team owner are are good, and it's good to hear that they are opposing the law and are trying to work uh, to overturn it. But I don't expect that's going to happen anytime soon. Right. Um, and. Uh, uh, if if I had my druthers, I would rather that they didn't go into there. But like I said, I understand why it had to happen. Um, having seen the WPS crash out from underneath me back in 2012, I that was a very distressing time, and I would rather not repeat that. So I'm 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 okay with it happening because it has to happen. But I'd I'd, just, I'd really rather the team be somewhere else. Right. Right. And, and I think that's a, a big part of, you know, what, why we're having this episode or, or why we're, we're talking to so many fans is, you know, the evolution of sport. <laughs> it, it, this is kind of a natural evolution, but uh, the, the political nature, the crossroads we're at right now, where um, we, we have this discriminatory place and, really want to get a sense from you as to how does how does not just this bill make you feel but like could you see yourself traveling to a game in north carolina like best case scenario boston makes it to the nwsl final and the final is being hosted Don't in north carolina like, like that do you <laughs> do, do 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 you feel comfortable making the trip do you you know i i think that's kind of kind of well, the the law, concern that I have, you know? Yes, I, I definitely have that concern. I mean, the law is terrible. And unfortunately, it seemed like we were on the verge of starting to get more acceptance of transgender people. And there were laws being passed and rules being made that said, you know, don't discriminate against people like this. And there's been a backlash to that, as you would expect. And now, of course, with the, the new administration, that's going to change drastically. And those laws and regulations are going to go away. So it's very difficult that the league is participating in in a state where this is going on. That, and and I certainly have no intention of going down there. Um, I, I I it would for for two reasons. One is I wouldn't want to give them the business because if you travel somewhere, by the time you buy your airline tickets and you rent a car and you pay a hotel, you're paying taxes to uh, the state and the city, and I'd rather not do that. And the other is it would make me very nervous to go down there. Right. Not just in terms of the law, but, you know. Physically afraid and nervous of of having to go in the bathroom, which everyone has to do. One of the problems with the law, too, is that when it becomes a law like that, I think it emboldens people who have 
you know, similar point of view to be like, well, the law backs me up. I'm correct. It's validating my point of view. So it's not just the bathroom. And I, I don't know. Is it sometimes a feeling of almost anywhere you go, you're just wondering, you know, who here might, you know, disagree with me fundamentally as a human being? Or is that exhausting to have to think that way all the time? Um, you have to think that way a little bit. Um, I generally don't go out of the house without having uh, fixed my hair and put on makeup and made my best effort to present myself as a female because, you know, the reactions to a trans person are, can, can vary widely. Um, every year they have, uh, they note the transgender day of remembrance in November, um, in which we remember all of the trans people who were killed simply for being trans. They, they didn't do anything. They just happened to be transgender and therefore someone decided to kill them. Um, now I've never felt that physically frightened, but the reactions when you go out of the house, uh, go from what you're really hoping for is people ignore you. Um, from there you get stared at and then you get laughed at. And then obviously it can, it can go from there to physical violence, which again, I've never personally received, but I've certainly been stared at and I, I certainly been laughed at. Well, here's the flip side of it. A couple of fans have said this could also be an opportunity to create like a safe haven within the state. So at least one place you know you can go out, you're welcome, you're safe. Um, they've suggested a great thing to do would be at the stadium because uh, it's privately owned. They can make all the stadiums all gender. I mean, all the bathrooms all gender. So for you, for example, let's ex let's imagine that Massachusetts is in a similar situation. If the breakers made... You know, what could the breakers do to make sure that the atmosphere at their stadium was welcoming and that you would feel safe going there and, you know, no one's going to give you a hard time? I think the things you mentioned would be helpful. And if the, the team in North Carolina were to do some of those things, it would be great. But you still have to get to the state if you're traveling. You have to go to the airport. You have to get a car. You have to go to a hotel. Um, you have to go out to eat. Uh, you have to go to the store, and if you have to go to the bathroom at any one of those places, you're somewhat at risk. Now, uh, many people pointed out that the Raleigh-Durham area is not a terribly conservative area, and so you might not have as much to worry about. But as, as Steph just mentioned, people feel emboldened by not only laws like this, but the change of administration and the election of uh, the, the the Trump guy. And... Um, so it makes me a little bit more worried that there might be someone who decides to prove a point. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, that, that fear, that, that worry is kind of the, the meat of, of what we're, what we're trying to discuss and what, what we really hope that, you know, the NWSL administration, the commissioner, um, the, the team, the ownership group, the coaches, everybody, I mean, really, NWSL women's soccer is not a point where we can afford to alienate anybody. Um, and so it's trying to figure out, okay, what, not only from a fan's perspective, like how can I support the league that moves a team into this hateful, uh, into a state that has this, this law in the book that's, that's just driven by hate, but how can we then kind of create this community and, make sure that people know in North Carolina, even that, you know, women's soccer should be a safe place. Yeah. I would hope 
I, I mean, what I hope is the team takes some positive steps in that direction. Um, it's it's early yet, so okay, they haven't said anything about that. But um, you know, if they do some of the things that Steph was mentioning about uh, gender neutral bathrooms or other initiatives that they could take, that would be great. And the sooner we hear about those, the better. I still wouldn't would be a bit nervous about going down there myself. Um, and I'm happy to travel to see. Uh, well, so I spent two weeks flying around Canada to follow the U.S. in the last World Cup. So I, I, can, I have money to spend and I would, I would go, but in this case, um, it makes me a little bit nervous. Um, so the more that they can, the team can come out with other than just generic statements that, gee, we oppose the law and we're hoping to end it, um, some specific things about the, the environment at the stadium and, and what they're going to do would be very helpful. With all this, I mean, the team's moving, it's a done deal. With all that in mind, is there anything, I mean, what would you say to Commissioner Plush and the North Carolina ownership, just from your point of view, I don't know, maybe not even to to get them to do anything, but anything that you wanted to say to them to kind of like get them to really understand that, you know, it's not abstract for you. It, they're making business decisions, but people's lives are involved here. Well, I think the first thing I want them to know is that there are people who won't go because um, after the move was announced, there was a tweet, uh, I think, from somewhere out at the convention in L.A. a few weeks ago that, uh, you know, according to Jeff Plush, he doesn't know of anyone who wouldn't want to go. Well, <laughs> here's one. I wouldn't want to go. Um, so I think it's important that he know that um, and important that he know that there are real fans of this sport who are as dedicated fans of the league and the teams as you can find uh, who care about this and that he need it, you know, just, just what they've done is not enough. They need to do more and they need to tell us more and they need to take specific steps to make people feel more comfortable. What are things that people in supporters groups or, you know, just when you go to a game, the fans around you, what are things that they can do to help make it more welcoming for all fans? Or specifically for trans fans, because this is specifically about trans people. I mean, I've never had I've never had an issue. One of the things that I've loved about being a Breakers fan is when I first started going, I didn't really know very many people anymore. Most of my friends disappeared after I came out, and um, I didn't really know anyone in the area. And when I started going to games, I started meeting people, and it was a totally accepting environment. So it was it was really great. And it was a lot less lonely after that. Um, and that's one of the things I love about, about going uh, to games and why I go to so many games, um, other than a love of the sport. Um, and obviously I love the team because I've, I've been going every day for the last three years, which is, as Steph knows, not an easy thing <laughs> when you know the team is not going to be very good. Um, so uh, as far as supporters group go, I think you know making clear that they're inclusive – um, you know, at, at, at the breakers matches, we hang the rainbow flag, uh, before every game right by the supporter section. And so doing that, uh, as a way to, to signal, Hey, we're, we're inclusive. We believe in inequality and, and we welcome everyone. Um, that would be a great step and any concrete, uh, statements that the supporters groups want to make, that would also be very helpful. Um, you know, I, and then just keeping an eye out and protecting people at the games. So if someone starts to get harassed, um, make sure the person knows they're not alone and that there are others who 
uh, we'll, we'll stand with them if necessary. Yeah, very cool. I think we can do that. Yeah. I think we all can do that. Yeah, we all can do that, and we should. And if you're not up to doing it, then, you know, try and find somebody you can. I guarantee you, within women's soccer, there are plenty of ornery people who are more <laughs> than willing to go tell somebody to stick their scarf up their pooper. Yeah, I mean, I can be a kind of an ordinary person personally myself, um, and I would do that for others, certainly. Um, but, you know, when you're in a bathroom and you're you're doing your, your business that you went in there to do, and there's someone outside waiting for you, you might not even know about it. But the more the more comfortable you can make people feel the better i think it would be right i think some of that stuff is structural it comes down to the teams working well with stadium security and like educational briefing to be like okay this is an all gender stadium bathroom situation so you guys need to be cool and let people take a dump in peace you know supporters groups can bring that up with their front offices if they want i mean if you've got a good enough relationship i think in boston we have we have a pretty good one so if it ever became an issue i think you know, on the breakers end, that's that's something we can do. So I, it's something I would I would suggest all supporters group think about doing if they have a good enough relationship with the front office. So I guess long story short, we all got to stick up for each other. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. At, at, at the end of the day, it's community, right? And that's what we're kind of learning um, is is going to have to just become more reinforced in the future. We we got to find our community. We got to stick with it, and uh, we got to watch out for each other. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, I think one of the, it sums it up nicely, one of the chants we had at a march I was at this weekend was, um, you've got to rise up, resist oppression, and protect your communities. So, rise, resist, protect. That sounds great. All right. Thank you for being on the show, Melissa. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. Well, that was Melissa, who graciously agreed to come on to our show. I've known her for a while, and she's been probably a more loyal Breakers fan than me, if you can believe it. Um, also want to thank TJ for being on our show and talking to us, helping educate us about things that we can all do in order to make sure everyone feels welcome. Gab, you uh, you going to rise, resist, protect in Portland? I'm going to do my best. I mean, um, part I think part of the responsibility now is, is on all of us to make sure that we're creating... An, an area, a space where where any women's soccer fan can come out, support their team, support the other team. Um, you know, we, we definitely don't want to create hostile environments, but we do kind of want to, to live with the spirit of the game. So um, it's that whole don't cross the line thing and also keeping an eye out for your fellow fan. So I, I really hope we all kind of enter into this new season with a renewed awareness and a renewed you know, drive to, to protect, um, protect each other, protect the sport, protect, protect our community. Yeah. I think this was kind of encapsulated. We got a tweet from uh, Jason Octopus on Twitter who was pointing out they're a, a trans guy and HB2 is scary, but they live in Virginia. And um, if the team and the supporter group is clear that Jason is welcome, then they'll go to as many Carolina courage games as they can. And, I think that's kind of a theme we've heard over and over from our um, from our guests and from people tweeting us, which is, if you create a safe space and welcome us, then we'll go. And, you know, I hate to boil it down to a business perspective, but that's what the team's going to listen to, business, money talks. 
if you create a welcoming atmosphere, diversity can be good for your pocketbook. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's good for us all as human beings, but that's what the team's going to respond to. So, you know. Yeah. And it's, I, I think Melissa had some really good points about, you know, the power of the pocketbook, you know, going to, to rally isn't just going to a soccer game. Like how much money do we spend when we go to away games? Um, is that money that we really want to be putting into that, the, the local economy um, and paying the taxes um, in those areas. So I, I think there's definitely like a lot of levels to this, especially as, you know, a similar, a, a similar measure is, is going through the process in Texas. So this could be something that impacts, you know, the, the Houston dash. Um, I, I think it's all just kind of up to our own personal um, feelings of safety and security. And if we can help reinforce that with e within each other, within our community, we'll, we'll be able to to you know make sure that this game continues to grow i agree i think that's a good place to leave it if you have any thoughts or want to express your opinion as a trans person on this issue our twitter is open because we want to listen to trans voices on trans issues and amplify them um that's how we all be good allies and help each other out and build our community i think it's important more important now than ever that uh women's soccer community kind of stands up for for the values that we believe in and that have helped make women's soccer such a special welcoming inclusive place so far yeah we're small but we're we're a tight-knit community and um we want to keep it not necessarily small but we want to keep it tight-knit so yeah yeah be be vigilant early and often root out oppression and um root out uh bigotry hate hate yeah and and keep it Keep it all copacetic within your supporters groups because, man, I get the feeling sometime in the next four years all we're going to have is each other. Yep. <laughs> On that and, note. And, you know, take, take, take it back to the drawing board and, and figure out how, how are you going to make an impact? How are you going to make a stand? Yeah. So I, I think that's on all of us right now, and we have a couple months to figure it out. Uh, NWSL will be coming at us in April, so, you know, plenty of time to – get everything put together, right? Yeah, I think it would be cool if, um, you know, at every Courage away game, if we throw out maybe trans flags uh, of support, something like that. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it more. It's early days yet. But let's all think of ways to make sure everything stays cool in soccer. Upbeat. Future. Things. <laughs> I don't want to end <laughs> on such a bleak note. God. It's only what, uh, like you gotta, day you four? You gotta pick some jazzy music to, to outro us. I will not. 